Sure, sure. Colin, how think- would you explain last things to Tom Cruise? <laughs> how would you how, how would you I make that suggestion? I mean, I'd be like, I'd just be like, you love movies, man. You know, it's big. It's like something new with the with the art form. They're they're taking it and exploding it. Big rocks. It'll change your life. It'll, it's crazy. Okay. And he'd be like, Maybe? awesome guy. Get him in the next movie. I'd, thumbs up. Maybe maybe that's how I, I... Maybe with Tom Cruise, I would actually vibe with because I'm also very good at just saying nothing to get out of the sure. conversation yeah. that I don't want to have. Where I'd just be like, movies, am I right? And he'd be like, yeah, for sure. We love the movie. Like, yeah. Nice seeing you, man. <laughs> to yeah. Keep steady. And he'd be like, keep steady yourself. And yeah. we just go back and forth. <laughs> yes. Right. Sort of like an Alexa and Siri talking to each other. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Can I Kick It? This is a podcast about film festivals. My name is Jesse Catherine Weber, and I'm joined by Andy Gramuga, Colin Ashley, Emilio Diaz. Uh, and we are also joined today to talk about uh, Kelly Rickard's new film, Showing Up by Fran Hoffner. Yay. Yay. Returning fave. Welcome yes. back. Thank you for having show. me back. Of course. Thank you for being back. I'll apologize up top for a couple of things. Uh, one is that uh, one of my earbuds broke last night, and I have not had a chance to go get new ones. So if I interrupt anyone, it's because I can only hear you in one ear. Uh, and also there are perhaps appropriately currently three very loud orange cats in this house uh, who are likely to interrupt at some point. Great. Well, showing up, played can. We didn't talk about it when it played. Before then. We maybe just want to leave the cut-in point now also for, uh, I think we will likely, though not certainly, have some news to discuss later this week that we can put here. All right, we're here. We've got sort of a lot of news. We've got uh, another tidbit from Toronto. We've got our first little tidbit from Venice. And then we've got a whole Locarno lineup to go over. So let's let's go through None of these tidbits are in a grab bag, though. We do want to be clear about that. No, absolutely not. Film festivals own. Yeah, they're the film festivals tidbits, and we are ordering them deliberately. Um, So why don't we just start with uh, Venice? Uh, They'll be happening before... Well, first out of them, Tiff. Carno will be first. But yeah, we'll we'll save the big big thing for last. Uh, So... Venice has announced their opening film, uh, which will be uh, Luca Guadagnino's The Challengers, playing... Just Challengers. No, just no Challengers, no the. All right. Yes. All right. Just Challengers. Um, which will be playing out of competition, which... Yes. I had Curious. I had heard was maybe the plan, but seems a little odd, uh, given that... It does, you know, it doesn't look... I guess it looks more 
commercial than Bones and All, but it doesn't look like more genre-y. Uh, so I don't know why it's not in competition, but it isn't. Right. Uh, but, you know, big Italian director, also big, a big star. Uh, so right. makes a lot of sense for that. Some up and comers, you know. Yep. It's all, it's all happening. Yeah. Uh, and will be important, uh, during next week's episode. Uh. That's right. And then Tiff, uh. I guess we got it. We have a couple of things from Tiff. We had not. We had recorded already last week when uh, Bertrand Benella was doing a virtual Q and A at the Lightbox, uh, and said that his new film, The Beast, will be at Tiff. Uh, whether that means it's premiering there or playing at Venice and then playing there, we don't know. But that is. Uh, quite exciting to me and kind of counters the, as I mentioned last week, the like, oh, these early announcements are like mostly not for me. Uh, this is very much for me. There's, uh, a few things, if any, that, uh, I will be more excited to see there. Is it an, like, is it an announcement though? It's not an announcement, but I... Assume if he is the one saying it, it is true. Sure. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah I'm just saying it's uh, it's a nice. It's a nice early confirmation. Yeah. Or something get something is. for me. Yeah. Uh, and then the thing that they did announce. <laughs> a little treat for Jesse. Yeah. The thing that they did announce, which uh, we're recording early on Thursday, so who knows they if they want to do two a week, they might announce something else later today. Uh, but yesterday they announced another world premiere, uh, another somewhat surprising announcement, I think, uh, that they will be world premiering Lodge Lee's new film, Le Indésirable. Someday I'll just stop saying French names at all. I don't think there's any reason for me to have to do that. I don't like the way that language works. Uh, but... Uh, his previous film, uh, of course, premiered at Cannes, won the jury prize, was nominated for, I can't remember if it was already Best International Feature then, uh, but for an Oscar, uh, and then he co-wrote Athena, which was at Venice last year, and won an award, so I think, uh, for a moment, I, I think specifically mentioned it as like a, oh, this movie isn't done, I would have liked to have had it. Uh, and so I was just assuming, oh, it'll be done in time for Venice, and it'll be at Venice, because there's a little bit of a relationship there. Uh, but not so, which is interesting. Uh, I, it's certainly, like, different from, I, you know, like, last year, the announcements in between, uh, Glass Onion and Fablemans were all just, like, who you know movies that like it made sense for them to play and uh i you know some people ended up liking i think but just was like who is getting hyped for these movies which i don't think this movie's necessarily getting people hyped but it at least feels like they're like oh we're announcing a thing that is like sort of a get for us in that you might have expected it to premiere at a different festival uh, you know, whether it could have gotten into Venice, who knows? I 
I would imagine that Venice probably just had not made the decision at this point, and they were just like, all right, if Toronto wants to grab us early, and they convinced them that they could give him uh, a good launch, uh, why not? Yeah, I, so, think it's, uh, I think it's for sure they're announcing it early because it was a get for them, and they just wanted yeah. to, like, stamp it. Like, they just wanted yep. to mm-hmm. put, put their mark out there. Like, we are getting European films, we are getting this kind of thing. Yes. And, you know, still is not, like, a get where, like, a random person, you know, a member of the public who's thinking about attending TIFF is going to be, like, oh, this is a get, but, like, maybe this is, like, a more press-focused early announcement. Maybe. Uh, But, yeah, we will continue to have TIFF updates. Excuse me. As they come in. Uh, So now moving on to Locarno. I think the headline here is that, like, this feels like the most sort of uh, back-to-usual lineup for Locarno since Carlos Chatrian left, or at least since the pandemic started. I feel like that that first year in 2019 actually looked pretty similar to the previous years, Uh, but then they immediately moved on from the person who programmed that, and so this is the first of uh, Gianna Nazara's lineups that, like, I don't think it is necessarily totally overcome the fact that, like, Chatrian went to Berlin, and Berlin is now just, like, slightly higher profile Locarno, uh, but this feels, even if it still is, like, oh, it's maybe smaller stuff that wouldn't have been at Berlin, it does feel much, like, deeper, uh, than the previous few Lacarnas have felt. And I think last year ended up, there were, like, less directors, maybe, where it was like, oh, I know who that is, but ended up feeling pretty deep once it got into it, too. But this is the first one in a while where it's like, oh, yeah, you can look at the lineup here and see, like, easily, or or I at least can look at the lineup and easily see how, like, oh, yeah, I could go to Locarno for a week and and a half and, like, easily put together 30 movies that I'm interested in seeing. Uh, So starting with the, you know, and because it feels deeper, uh, I'm just going to kind of try and go through quickly-ish and not even necessarily mention everything that, I could say something about, uh, but going through competition, uh, The Human Surge 3, directed by Eduardo Williams, is, I think, something that, uh, will be interesting. Uh, The Human Surge was a Locarno premiere, I believe, uh, kind of Williams' breakout, and he has done some short work since then. Uh, but a follow-up has been anticipated, and, uh... There, so there's not a two. There's not a He's two. He's just jumping I think from every, the first yeah, one to so three. so that, that's the... Everyone is excited to see why he skipped two. Uh, there is a poster for this movie out. It looks kind of crazy. Uh, I, I can send it in the chat. Uh, 
except that I'm not going to do that because I would have to stop talking. Uh, sure. There's a new Lev Diaz film. Uh, he has been at Licardo many times, but last year the two movies he had were at um, Fid Marseille and Venice. So he is back. Uh, only 215 minutes. <laughs> uh, no intermission required. Probably not. Uh, I, I don't think he ever has intermissions. Sure. I think he has always just kind of been like, uh, we can, you know, you can go pee whenever. I don't really care. Um, Bob Byington back in at Locarno. He, he's a, I feel like he is not, he's a, a relatively prolific director, but one who has not had a movie out in the time that we have been a podcast. Uh, right. This, yeah, the, the cast of this really struck me. Yes. And this is like all people who he has worked with quite frequently. Uh, David Krumholtz is the lead. There's a very funny picture of him, uh, that's the still, uh, and he's worked with Byington a lot. Uh, Martin Starr is in it, who's worked with him a few times. Uh, Stephen Root, I think, has also worked with him before, but then, and he does have, like, a company of, like, Nick Offerman has been in a lot of his movies, uh... There's a, and, and a lot of them have, I think, been working with him since before they were famous. Like, there's a movie that wasn't released at the time, uh, but he, that he shot in, like, the late 90s, early 2000s that, like, Offerman is in and Krumholtz and a few other people. Uh, so he's been around for a while and clearly has relationships with these people. And, yeah, he's someone who... Uh, just like has a bunch of movies out that sometimes people like but like don't get any kind of theatrical release and i've never been like oh i've got to check out a bob byington movie even though some of them sound vaguely interesting so mm -hmm. maybe this will be the one uh lousy carter i'm not sure if i said the title uh what else have we got we've got uh of course uh radu jude's new film uh, which has a very long title uh, that I had to click through to get to the English language version of Do Not Expect Too Much of the End of the World, uh, 163 minutes long. His, I think, I do not care if we go down in history as Barbarians is long-ish, but not quite that long. So I think this is his longest movie, uh, but Romanian director... Recent Golden Bear winner for Bad Luck Baiting Your Looney Porn. I think this is maybe the uh, sort of the, the international director with the highest profile who they got. I don't sure. know how likely it necessarily would have been that this would have premiered at Venice. Right. Uh, especially now, having seen a trailer, it looks like he is throwing stuff at a wall even more than uh with bad luck banging uh the trailer it just like looks insane um but i'm into it i feel like i feel like a lot of people have uh th their 
impression of bad luck banging has kind of declined since they saw it. And I feel the opposite. I'm just like, that movie is... He's doing a bunch of stuff. I really... Um, and it looks like he's doing even more stuff here, so... Looking forward to that. Nina Haas is in it. Uh, okay. Petzold actor. Sure. Uh, yeah, there's some more long movies. Um, Rainer Sarnet, who's uh, an Estonian director who did a movie called November maybe five years ago that I remember having a fair amount of buzz. I think mostly just for, like, looking crazy. Um, there's a, a first film from a Ukrainian director, Marina Vroda, who I think, uh, maybe didn't win, but competed for the short film Palm d'Or a few years ago, so that's something that might get some attention. Uh, a Quentin Depew movie, uh, though right. not, not the one that we knew was coming, uh, Dali... Uh, this one is called Yannick, um, mm-hmm. and is an hour long. I, I think I was vaguely <laughs> aware of him having uh, something about him making a gorilla movie after sure. Delhi. So, um, the, uh, yeah, I'm looking at the Variety article. The logline says a surprise movie already set for French release in the summer. So it's like they're yeah. they're getting it out there. Yeah, they're really. Pushing it. He's in his uh, making movies period. Because I've been well, like, I, I was, I was like, oh, Quentin Pugh, yeah, De- Deerskin. He's back from Deerskin. He's made three movies since yeah. then, and then I mean, has this one and another one only out there. Yes, I feel like he kind of has always been in a making movies period, but maybe, maybe, may, I think maybe before Deerskin, there'd been a little break and. Yeah, he's gone back into overdrive of late. Uh, maybe the next movie will be called Lorik. Yannick and Lorik. Like Yanni and Laurel. Yeah, I got there before you All said right. that. I, I no one had, had any reaction, so I wasn't sure if it was a, uh, a we don't simply like not this worthy of a reaction. A, yeah, we don't get it. Kind of, yeah, kind of could have gone either way. Um, I think uh-huh. that, you know, the, the... Too bad Cullen's not here. He would have liked that. <laughs> Maybe. I hope, I can only hope. Um, the, the, the directors of the present section is, uh, one where often stuff that people like comes out, but also a section where, you know, sort of their uncertain regard, but also even more than that, like... Rarely a director that people have heard of. Uh, the only thing that stuck out to me there is that uh, Derek Campbell, a uh, Canadian actor who uh, has worked with, um, why can't I remember her name? A Woman Escapes is the most recent movie they did together. It's not going to come, uh, as well as uh, the star of Anna 13,000 Feet. Um, the Piazza Grande section is interesting in that they yeah. don't have the, like, big U.S. blockbuster that they usually right. have one or two of. The only, like, the only, like, American production that, like, sort of has stars is Theater Camp, 
which right. will be <laughs> at, you know, it is often a movie that is out in the U.S. by the time it sure. plays here. Right. So um, I guess what would they be looking at? Like, I guess, like, because, like, Dial, like, Dial Destiny played can like there's like i don't know if there's i mean you know they just like take whatever like they it was bullet train last year it's not they're not like looking for something with prestige it's just like what's something that people will come watch outside that i would imagine is getting a simultaneous release everywhere it would have to be an august movie probably which i'm sure sure there are options but i guess nothing that uh was mutually decided to be uh, a beneficial uh, option. Uh, they do. There is a a secret screening one of the nights, so possible. That, I I wouldn't imagine that that's what they would be doing with a secret screening, but maybe. Uh, and then like Jan Demange has a movie that uh, Riz Ahmed is in, who is also. Uh, getting uh, some kind of special Honor. award. Yeah, although that's a short film, actually, so I would imagine playing before something else. Uh, and then, like, a couple can premieres, uh, Anatomy of a Fall and The Old Oak, uh, and a few other things where I'm just like, oh, yeah, I kind of know who that director is, or there's someone Loach is making the movie. rounds with his, with his last one. He wants to... yeah. To see I, the world. Last one in air quotes. Um, yeah, I'm just looking at August. It, it is like I, they could have taken Meg too. That's got like a director who is sure. sort of a name. Um, other yeah, than get that, Statham out there. Get yeah, him. Get, get, that get is kind of like there. that's the. It's like that or like or Gran Turismo, I guess, are the only oh, two sure. where it's Long like camp. you could kind of see That'd be that. really funny. God. Yeah. David Harbour and um, <laughs> um, what's his face? Uh, uh, why am I blanking on his name? Orlando Bloom. Orlando Bloom. I saw that right. trailer. Or, or I don't yeah. know. Like if you go further, like I'm sure they would have been. so bad in that movie. After that, tra- uh, I mean, that yeah, trailer's bad in general. Dreadful trailer. The, the trailer's really bad. Yeah, Bloom one of in the particular. Worst I'm like, that's a really special. I've seen of recent times. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like going into September, like I'm sure they would have been thrilled to have uh, the Equalizer three and get Denzel Washington oh, sure. out, but like. Late August, it really is, like, they're not going to show Blue Beetle or Strays on the Piazza Grande. Uh, I suppose, perhaps, White Bird, not a wonder story, but right. uh, none of these ended up happening. <laughs> uh, Maybe, yeah. Well, another difference from recent years is that I don't remember the out-of-competition section having so many big names uh i feel like the like things that are not competing that are sort of big have mostly uh tended towards the piazza grande in recent years uh or have been like mid-length features that go in the uh there's a section for shorts and mid-lengths uh but there are a number of like Directors who their work would certainly not make sense on the Piazza Grande, uh, who are premiering movies out of competition. 
uh, Carolyn Poggy and Jonathan Vanell are directors who I've heard good things about, who just seem like very Locarno. You have a movie called Best Secret Place, uh, another hour-long film. Uh, Paul Vecchiali is a French director who passed away at the beginning of this year, who has his uh, last movie premiering here, uh, Bonjour la Lengue. Uh, I guess the opposite of Adieu à la Lengue, uh, one of Godard's yeah. later movies. He's saying, um, fuck you, Godard, I'll show you. Perhaps, <laughs> and he made it another six months, so I guess he did. Um, Bertrand Mandico's movie from Director's Fortnite is playing out of competition here, but then he also has two short films premiering, one of which looks like maybe a companion to uh, Conan, and one of which seems like maybe a different thing. Uh, Denis Coté has another film. Sure. Uh, for the third year in a row, I think. He had one. He, the last two were both at Berlin, or not. Yes, because they had one at Berlin Competition last year, and then one that was in Encounters the year before that, uh, but is here in Locarno now. Uh, this certainly... Uh, I mean, it, it ended up seeming weird that the one that they put in competition uh, ended up comp in competition. I don't think it ended up actually being any more accessible than the one that had been uh, in Encounters a few years ago. Uh which I know both me and Andy saw, but I'm... A name is coming to mind, but I feel like it might be the name of a right. different movie. Was it... It was the outside one. Yes, which the name that's coming to mind is Outside Noise, but I believe Outside that's Noise the, uh... is... Yeah, that's Ted Fent. Um, yeah, that's the other one. The yeah. other one of those that I saw <laughs> that year. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, his movie is called Mademoiselle Canopsia. Uh, is it social hygiene? That's yes, what it was. that's yep. right. Mm -hmm. uh, which yeah was just which a bunch. Yeah, I, it's in yeah it was just a bunch of people standing not near each other outside yelling at each other. Right. Um, I asked a stupid question at the Q and A, and he got he gave me a curt answer. It's great. That's nice. Um, yeah. Let's see. Anything else standing out to me? Barbette Schroeder has a new movie. Uh, the Caroline Poggy Jonathan Vanell movie now appears twice on the web page, which is interesting because it appeared zero times yesterday, and I kept being confused when it was in the uh, press releases. Uh, there's a movie uh, by a director who I've not heard of uh, named Ron Huang um, from Hong Kong, uh, but called What Remains that stars Andrea Riseborough, uh, Stellan Skarsgård, and then Oscar. I, and then I can only assume, I don't know if this is another brother that we're not aware of named Gustav or some other familial relation, but Gustav Skarsgård. Another Skarsgård. Uh, well, two more Skarsgårds because uh, he co-wrote the screenplay with Megan Everett Skarsgård. 
Wow. Uh, I, I, now I feel like I gotta look up who exactly these Scars guards are. Yeah, right. uh, Gustav. I mean, do we think Gustav is, is another gonna... brother? Oh, okay. Like Alexander yeah. and Bill. Yeah. He, uh, one of his known fours is evil, but uh, not the evil that Andy would know. Uh, a film from sure. 2003, it appears. Uh, mm-hmm. And then Megan. The Megan is Stellan's wife. Oh. Okay. Stellan's wife, sure. Uh, yes. um, a real family affair, then. Yep. Um, but and Andrea it... Riseborough's to Leslie follow-up. Of course. It's, be, it's got the buzz. Mm-hmm, yeah. I think it's uh, going to be, you mm-hmm. think it'll be a small film with a big heart? Maybe. Uh, yeah, I wonder, yeah, it's unclear what, uh, what the, what, where, uh, what Megan Everett Skarsgård's previous career is. Her only other credit is having produced a short film in 2013 on IMDb. Um, yeah, I don't know. He's, uh, she's not, uh, Gustav or uh, Alexander Bill's mother. Uh, they got married in sure. 2009 and do have uh, two There's another one together. coming up? Great. More Scars Guards. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the first one was born in 2009. Ossian uh, Scars Guard. Uh, oh, and he's already uh, he's already uh, start- got oh. credits on IMDb. Now this, well, <laughs> hold on. This is, let me see exactly. Uh, God. He when there's is- finally enough Scars Guards to be an all Scars Guard movie. Mm-hmm. Ossian mm-hmm. Skarsgård's first role is a voice-only role as the young version of Max Irons's character in The Wife. Wow. Uh, and he has more recently done a couple of... Uh, he's in a movie called Burn All My Letters last year uh, <laughs> that it looks like he was also playing a younger version of someone uh yeah and then uh yeah has a a tv show that he's in coming up this year it looks like so yeah more scars guards and yeah maybe even one more on the way uh and yeah i think that is and you know, like they they are kind of very known for doing having really strong retrospective programming as well, uh, which is not so much our beat. Uh, and as I said, like right. there's other stuff where I was like, oh, I kind of know uh, who that is. Uh, so maybe we'll be more stuff that we will talk about it when it premieres or when we have a chance to see it. Uh, but for now, I think that is all. I have on Locarno. So back Great. to showing up. And now we're back to talk about yes. showing up. Which played at Cannes, and we didn't talk about it at the time because Emilio, I think you missed it? That was like, It was the last thing. Yeah, that, right. That yeah, played a lot of people played missed it at Cannes. Yes, yes. Um, I and had then, a lot going on. Yes, yes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then traditional A24 fashion sort of Sat on it for a year. Yeah. <laughs> uh, barely put it out in April. <clears throat> yeah. And now it's on. It's on. Did it do VOD. any other festivals in between? Did it do? It like did a... New York. 
Right. Yes. And that uh, it like played a few other places internationally. I think New York is the only festival in North America that it played. Sure. Uh, but yeah, they were keeping a tight lid on it for whatever reason, as yeah. I think we complained about many times throughout the fall and winter. Right. And then they started to do a release for it, including like I was like getting trailers for it. <laughs> And then it never actually opened here. <laughs> like it just was like, Aww. oh, I guess it, I guess it didn't yeah. do well enough to like merit the platform release that they like to do, and Maybe. so uh, it's on VOD now, and it is now available for rental on VOD. You don't have to pay twenty dollars to own it on VOD. Mm. So that's how I watched yeah. it. Um, but yeah, her what seventh feature, something like that. Following right. up First Cow, yeah, we uh, about another first cow. movie that barely got released, but for so, slightly yeah, more justifiable reasons. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, I mean, that was also, it played at New York in 2019, and then they held Right, it, it did they, also, like, skip a bunch of festivals, yes. Yeah, and then they did, like, the Sundance Berlin thing. It didn't do Sundance. It did, it did Berlin. Skip, sure. it, it made its international premiere in competition at Berlin like five right. months after it premiered yes. at Telluride. First Cow did? Yes. 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 That's so weird. Yeah. yeah I mean, this they, is Because yeah. th- there was, there was a... We, we've talked about it, I think, but there was a weird thing where, like, Venice even said, like, we really wanted to show First Cow... And A24 told us that we had to take, like, three other movies that we didn't want to show or else it wouldn't be worth them making the trip. Uh, Uh, Which, sure. And so they premiered it and Uncut Gems and Waves at Telluride, none of which are movies that should have premiered at Telluride. It's also just weird to think of those movies coming out of the same place at the same time, (laughs) like... Uncle Jim's is such like a different world than the world. Right, I saw those are all Cali. movies that were <laughs> yeah. released before, before sure. the yes, pandemic yes. started. It's it's yeah, um, but yeah, um, that was such a crazy about... New York Film Festival year. That was the Irishman sure, year. Yes, Irishman. Yeah, yeah. crazy. You uh, you saw it at uh, New York, right, Fran? Which uh, the showing up, showing up? No, so well, I saw it in New York, but I actually saw sure, sure, sure. the exclusive pre-can screening for New York Whoa. critics going to Cannes, but I didn't go to Cannes. And the <laughs> right. only reason I got into the screening, and the second I walked into that screening, everyone was like, oh, and you're going to Cannes? And I was like, no, <laughs> leave me alone. Um, and I had to do this embarrassing sort of like, no, I'm not actually going. And it's because my editor had like double booked or double assigned Moon Age Daydream. Sure. And that was supposed to be one of my reviews that month. And... Right took moon age daydream away from me but then was like i guess we have the riker if like i think to like apologize they gave me something really right. good which very yeah, rarely uh-huh. happened um mm-hmm. sure so that's how i got into that is truly by mistake uh-huh. so i don't even have to go to can but i was also one of yeah. like 30 people who saw this in 2022 yeah. and then just had to sit on their thoughts about right. it yeah. but i also wound up hating moon age daydream so sure. i'm really glad i saw the riker yeah yeah um, but yeah, I mean, uh, it's about Michelle Williams. She's a sculptor, and it's about this week in her life uh, where she's getting ready for a show. And her landlord is her former friend, or I guess current friend, uh, but they've been friends for a while, Hong Chow. Mm-hmm. And she also is working on a show. 
two and shows. Sort of just two just shows. Two yes, shows. Excuse me. Uh, and then it's just about sort really of the crazy. the chaotic week of, for Michelle Williams. A bird gets right. attacked by her cat. Michelle yeah. Williams, yeah, doesn't have any hot water. That's a big yeah. running plot mm-hmm. point. She's really just generally unhappy. She's yeah. a very unhappy character. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think That's it was. It really re- like was remarkable. Like how like I mean and like I don't know it. Th- especially like the way that she handles like conflict and adversity is is, like you know at once familiar and recognizable to me and that she like doesn't want to really push but she also like there's a lot of like feeling of like i don't know i had a lot of feeling of like well there's some actions you could take maybe that you're not taking to like solve these problems but it seems like you just sort of want to sit in in the problems of it all maybe that's interesting to say that she's unhappy. I don't really see... I, I see her more as, like, timid and, like, nervous. Really? And maybe, like, res- resigned. I think she's just a curmudgeon. Uh, I actually think yeah, she's really uh, happy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, unhappy... Uh, that, that that didn't really... I, I didn't see that. Because, like, it what it reminds me of, which is a very silly comparison, is there's a joke on 30 Rock where... Uh, Tina Fey's character goes to her high school reunion and she's like, I don't want to go. They all hated me. I was a nerd. Right. And then it's like the flashback and she's like bullying them <laughs> because she thinks that she's like quiet or whatever. And I just kept thinking about like, this, I, I rewatched it uh, and Hong Chao, I felt very sympathetic to her character, oddly, as the sort of landlord. But uh, and watching it the second time, I feel like it is a very generous to both Hong Chao and uh michelle williams and it's like this sort of story about this friendship that doesn't really hold what it used to and uh but just williams thinking that she is like in the right the whole time and she is mostly i mean her hot water doesn't work that's like in yeah human. that's but, a big problem yeah. for sure um and it probably makes you go crazy uh but just like the way that she uh well, like, she's, like, so angry at Hong Chao when she calls her and is like, your fucking bird cost me all this money. And it's like, you are maybe, like, you, you're you both going through, like, a similar thing. She's, like, stressed about her show, and so is Hong Chao. It's just, I think the way that it, it shows both of their sides is very diplomatic in a way. And I was very surprised by that the second viewing. But, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess I'm wondering, like, where we all are on right guard because i did think was trying to think about this movie within the context of her other movies in that she's sort of a hard I, a person i found hard to pin down like i i i have tried to find the through line which is maybe a little late like it, it, it you that's not necessarily an avenue of criticism you have to mm-hmm. go down with everybody but i do think like if i tr- have found any is that i think her movies are often about like how it's like how the right thing and the thing that's going to make you feel good aren't necessarily the same thing. I think they're always like, there's always like, a, in conversation, I think, uh, God, I forget the name of a movie that is a Western. I forget. Meeks Cutoff. Meeks Cutoff. Meeks Cutoff. Yeah. Meeks Cutoff yeah, cut <laughs> in particular is, is very much like a movie where somebody maybe makes the right decision and it maybe does not end well for them even though it is what feels correct and that is how that is sort of what i came to at the end of showing up where it's just like this movie about 
how all these sort of legitimate grievances this person has, how Michelle Williams has, but also at the same time, it's just like, what can you really do? Like, you you really can't be put into, like, all these people are in sort of weird, tough positions, and you sort of just have to be okay with not being able to be in control of certain aspects of your life, with how she right. and like treats her brother, the... and how people respond to the work, and how things ha- those realms yeah certainly the relationship with joe the hong chow character is like that in that like they should not be uh, have her friend be her landlord like that's just a relationship that isn't going to work but also like she does not have another option that would allow her to uh do the work that she does probably yeah it's hard to think of what a thematic through line is for her, I think of her through line being much more like tonal and stylistic. Yeah. And these like sort of lackadaisical like yeah. meditations on character. I sort of, I absorbed like every interview I could with her when showing up had its mm-hmm. theatrical release here. And I think it was maybe on Little Gold Men or Marin. Those were like the two big ones I always think about. Mm-hmm. Where she was like, "Yeah, I had kind of wanted to do like a high school comedy, and this is as close as I could figure out how to get to that." <laughs> That's like, very funny. I, That's I think crazy. she gets like a genre <laughs> idea in mind, but it always gets like filtered through her kind of um, mm-hmm. just like melodical paced sensibilities. Yeah, I mean, the, I think the movie that this of hers that this feel at, at least that the dynamic between uh michelle williams and hong Xiao feels very close to for me is old joy uh even though that the the characters the the will Patton and daniel london characters have become much more disconnected uh just like aren't around each other as much whereas these two people are constantly around each other uh it very it just felt they're not really similar characters but it's a similar dynamic and i think i also had the reaction that a lot of people uh have to old joy where they're like obviously one of them is in love with the other one uh like i i even read i don't remember where it was but i read a review or maybe just like a letterbox thing or something where they thought that uh, Michelle Williams was being mean to Hong Chow after she sleeps with Andre Holland because she's jealous, and I was like, "She's not jealous of Hong of uh, Hong Chow. What you, did we watch the same movie?" Uh, and like you know, it even feels like at the end, Hong Chow kind of trying to push her towards the uh, the visiting artist. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah I there don't is think a she's... very. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Please, please. Oh, I don't think she's, like, romantically jealous. I think she's jealous of, like, the sense of whimsy afforded to someone who's making <laughs> passive income. Sure. Um, especially when they're doing bad at her job. Like, when Joe is doing a bad job being a landlord, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, like, yeah, you get to have a party or go to a party if you have hot mm-hmm. water or something. Um, it's a yeah. lot of, it's, like, this weird thin line that's not quite jealousy, but it's, like, yeah, would be nice would be nice if i had that also this mm-hmm. this embittered yeah. kind of sensibility yeah there's the um there yeah it is just like the energy of hong chao's character where it's like there is just a layer of like casual coolness like every time uh she 
uh, before she arrives in a scene, you hear like her car pull up with loud music blaring. <laughs> There's uh, the little detail that I really liked was after she, after the scene with Andre uh, Benjamin, where they like hook up or whatever. And she like walks out and her phone is just under her car <laughs> and she like gets on the ground and reaches out and like pulls out her phone. I was like, this is a, a person who's so casual that like they aren't worried about their phone charging while they're asleep. <laughs> it's a different <laughs> set of priorities. Um, but yeah, there is, but I think a lot of people in the movie are it not, if not that level of chill, sure, they yes. are sort of go with the flow to a certain extent that just drives her very crazy. That just yeah, are, yes. yeah. Where she's just like, she feels like she's the only person who's like sort of trying to keep everything going, keep everything grounded. Sure. The, um, yeah, just in regards to Reichardt's other work, when we talked about first cow, I was sort of like mezzo mezzo on it. Like didn't really have the experience that a lot of people had with that movie. Um, but I love some of her other work and like other ones, you know, I, I, obviously I would need to get a fresh perspective on a lot of them. I watched them, uh, a while ago, mm-hmm. but um, this one, it's there's obviously such a shift in like the energy, and there's like such an organic quality to all of this, and like the way Blovelt's, you know, there's such a texture to the film grain in this that provides this quality, and there'll be scenes where it just sort of he'll, his camera will, like drift off and choppily zoom in on like a cat doing a weird thing there's so many animals in this movie there's like mm-hmm. the dog that's always sleeping in front of her office there's the pigeon there's the cat it's a yeah it's it's very alive yeah and animals then, yeah, it, certainly are just like a cheat code to making your movie more interesting to look at sure yes yeah. or even to hear there's so much like mm-hmm. just like the sounds of the cat when you see its paw like going under the door um but there's also just the high school comedy really sticks out because all the stuff at the school has that humor to it where there's like the all the people sort of doing interpretive dance and the visiting artist is like i'm trying to figure out i don't know what this class is but i want to take it (laughs) and it's like thinking in movement and you know williams's delivery is very dry but this school that's like happening around her where you know andre benjamin's playing the flute all the time (laughs) Um, and there's a really great two letterboxed reviews from one of the uh, people playing a student in the movie where she's like, here's all this stuff that like happened while we were making showing up. And there's mm-hmm. a great one that's like during the scene uh, at the gallery at the end, like she's like, I saw John Majaro across the street take down like an entire pack of American spirits. <laughs> and it's just really funny. Like that scene when he comes in and starts eating the cheese. Um mm-hmm. That yeah, yeah. I mean yeah. This it is yeah. The the that I had a harder time with this movie on uh, and the last scene did or like that last sort of sequence did sort of bump it up for me. But I do like I don't know. I found I found it the the like Lizzie very hard to take and like a little, very frustrating a lot of the time. And I think like the whole thing where she's like complaining about how there's too much cheese and then yelling at her brother for eating all the cheese. She's nervous. Um, I guess, I but mean, like, I was just like, you know, I, I wanted her to chill out like all the other characters for some reason. I mean, reason. I find her hard to take, but in that yeah. I'm like, oh yeah, that could just be me. Yeah. Mm. Um, there's a lot of that in that for sure. Yeah. But I mean, I do. Yeah. I do think like, yeah, the, the, the fact that she does like that, that like, it's like, the family business too is really interesting, sure. I think, 
and like that depict like the depiction of the way that she's connected like she works directly under her mom uh her dad is retired they're, they're divorced um but he's also like you know he has an artistic background and is just hosting two random people at his house um and then her Judd brother Hirsch is the father we should say yeah Judd Hirsch plays the father and then her brother is John Magaro and he uh seems like he's having some mental health issues um while also um uh you know he is um the the way that he like talks and frames it is is often through like that artistic sort of language that like everyone sh- they all share with each other mm-hmm. right the, the the conversation about earthwork i think is like sure. really like and she yes. she comes she finds him digging a hole he's having some sort of an episode and 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 you know and she's like oh i didn't know you were into earthwork and he like talks about how oh everything's earthwork poetry is your language and like the way that like yeah how the, the the glimpses you get of how probably her upbringing in this environment and how she has stuck with it uh, are interesting to me because I, yes. I do feel like maybe, and like clearly she gets a lot of satisfaction out of doing artistic work, but I think a lot about the artistic life that is available to her is not as satisfying to her. And I think like that contrast is very, is very well drawn and interesting. And you see how she has gotten to this place pretty clearly. Yeah. Yeah. To be clear, I don't think my memory is that she does not call the whole earthwork unprompted. I think he calls it, says he's doing an art project. And then she says, Oh, I know you do earthwork. Right. Yes. Yes. I'm working on a piece. Yeah. Sure. Um, She's so mad I don't know. when the mom calls him creative. And she's yes. like, well, a lot of people yeah. are creative. But this is sort of the interesting divide, I think, between a lot of creative people. Is I think you have a lot of people for whom ideas come really naturally, who are kind of capable of always coming up with something new that feels creative and original. And then there are people who are maybe not that innovative, but are really good with like the work ethic required to, mm-hmm. if not make a living, then do the work consistently. And these two types of people, I think more often than they collaborate, actually really hate each other because <laughs> they just mm-hmm. want what the what the others have. Yeah. Um, yeah. I have a lot of friends throughout different mediums who I think have the exact kind of like <laughs> Joe Lizzie dynamic and like cannot talk to each other about work because it's like, completely speaking across parallel lines they'll never figure mm-hmm. out how the other one does anything the um all the stuff with uh just the way that it's sort of you see the progression of like the sketches at the beginning of all the all of our sculptures mm-hmm. um during the credits to like the finished product obviously at the show and like how lovingly it photographs all of the art uh all of the all of the sculptures specifically is really i mean it's just so beautiful the, the movie looks insanely gorgeous um but there's the the, just the way that it lets you sit in that process i think is very um plays with that like contemporary contemplative cinema thing that reichardt is part of and then also is like bringing in this exuberance or whatever this quality of just like seeing her make the thing seeing her like scratch it with the fork and like she's got this this nice little studio space in her garage see everything dry I mean, I think the thing that's indicative of where the mo- like sort of where what the movie is trying to do is all the random shots of just like random art students working on their little project and how how it's sort of hard to see whether these shots are like loving or if they're kind of making fun of them. And I think that yeah. is sort of the line at which the movie is operating, which is sort of like 
try whether it exists in her perspective of just being like everybody's too loosey goosey like this isn't what art is or yeah this is this is what art is is everybody just looking for a way to express themselves in their own way what's her job like she's not a professor she's a receptionist and she's like like an admin office organizer or something yeah yeah she might be like a registrar or something sure like that um yeah or like Uh, oregon college of art and craft administrative coordinator or something we definitely like my grad program had our equivalent of uh sure a lizzie someone's daughter yeah no it was not someone's kid but was like that kind of role and was sort of like similar vibe but you always had to figure you it took us a really long time to figure out what to talk to her about to not just be like the annoying people with admin issues and we realized it was like (laughs) k-pop sure So That's we awesome. all got a little into K-pop to be able to be yeah. like, hey, listen to this new BTS song. By the way, my email address is like being so weird. Um, <laughs> a great, a great like, uh, Yeah. Butter sweeter or butter hotter? Which one do you like better? All of the ins and outs. Um, yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the guy in the office with her who's just like trying to like get through to her and then eventually when she's got the pigeon he's like she thinks the bird's stressed out like roasting her <laughs> is really oh yeah but really he's like good. He, he took a pigeon from the vet yeah he's <laughs> like we don't you shoot pigeons like when you're <laughs> keeping it the funniest thing about the office dynamic to me was not even something i noticed but that phil noticed when we saw it which is that um the mom is so ornery when someone gets like a personal package to the school but it's like she brings her yes. dog every day and yeah. that is so classic like boss workplace thing of mm-hmm. like okay yes. i can do this but you're not allowed to do this yeah yeah i think it, it's like she's got the box and she's like what is this like disgusted <laughs> right and then she's like it'll be in my office like yes 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 i mean yeah we mentioned him a few times i do uh andre benjamin talk about like a chill guy the coolest <laughs> yeah. character ever <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think when we talked about uh, red shoes, Andy was like, "I want to be Anton Walbrook in this," <laughs> and that is Andre mm. Benjamin. I'm just like, let me just walk around with an empty coffee cup, <laughs> not really worry about anything, fire some pottery in uh, coveralls. Yeah, yeah. And I think uh, his 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 scene with Williams, where they get the stuff out of the kiln, and she's like, just her body language throughout. I think is like. I really think it's a tremendous performance by her. Yeah. But in that scene in particular, it, it sticks out where she's like, you see her eyes like darting back and forth between each piece as they're pulling it out. And it's like this successful firing at first. And she's so like obviously excited. And, uh, but, you know, obviously uh, uh, keeping it reserved and keeping it to herself also. Um, and she says, she's like, good job, girls, like to the sculptures. And it really touched me. Um, and then um, I think the way that everyone else has this relationship to her where they're like trying to be nice, mostly like, especially in the school system and like in the, uh, the visiting artist is like so interested in her work. And then um, like you get uh, someone at the, at the gallery at the end is like great work, Lizzie or whatever. And uh, John Magaro's like, everyone loves kissing your ass. And <laughs> it's like, you just see instantly. It's like him and the mom versus her and you know, Hirsch a little bit like, they they all have their sort of things that made them fall apart from each other, and uh, I I, I the, it, what makes me so sympathetic to Williams is like the idea of like not being able to take a compliment resonates and like her feeling like dejected, but everyone is like very obviously open to her 
it's a it's an interesting bit of acting on her end playing yeah. that sort of fear i do think it's like sort of understandable and to the extent of just like yeah alui benjamin is like very cool when he like sort of fucks up her sculptures a little bit and, sure, I mean, yeah. and, and he's like oh that doesn't matter i, it was I like, like imperfection right. it makes it more I, interesting he's it makes it more interesting i like imperfection classic, you understand like yeah. if you were michelle williams you'd be like what the fuck are you yeah, talking yeah. about i, I spent, wanted it to look good <laughs> i wanted it to look how i wanted it to look when i spent 19 hours on them mm-hmm, not when yeah. that just like it getting fucked up but it's i don't know i guess that's the, the whole thing of just like well, how that, go with the flow you sort of need to be to sort of be able to survive in this kind of environment yeah. how she's qu- sort of kind of too hard to be that pleased and i think but, that's sort of like where the animals come into it where sort of an animal is this perfect example of a thing where it's like i can love this thing and i can try to take care of it but at the end of the day it's an animal it doesn't get me it's gonna do whatever it's gonna do like sure. like i can't sort of think of this in terms of control because at the end of the day i might just not have that much of it yeah the um also that piece though it's like because she has the bird and she's like taking care of the bird she like doesn't mm-hmm. finish it on time and that's why she needs the second like she's like when are you doing another firing mm-hmm. to get that you know the the piece in and then it's because it's there that it's in the hot spot gets burnt um but then also like yeah the relationship with animals the scene at the beginning where she's like talking to the cat ricky and she's like leave me alone like i'm trying to do this we <laughs> yeah. shut up like how pissed off she is is really right it's really she funny. doesn't she hasn't bought food for the cat <laughs> she has yeah. to go buy food for the cat. yeah the cat's really good yeah even though he they, they do enter the bird but that's um, just the way the cat yeah and it's a, like it's like a very nice. Uh, I always refer to these as uh, you like Krabby Patties, don't you? Squidward relationships of just like her being at first, just like being very mad at the bird, and then just like until like almost the very end, not being able to admit to Hong Chao that she really likes the bird and taking care of it, and she has formed an attachment to it. Yeah, that I mean, the sort of I've seen people sort of unfavorably compare it to a sitcom the whole movie <laughs> and i i think i can see parts of it but in a positive light where like the situation of it and like this movie having so much like incident where she there's the bird and she just like drops it out the window it's like problem solved <laughs> and then the next day hong Xiao's like i found this bird we take care of it it's like uh sure <laughs> and then obviously you know she gets stuck into it but the 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 idea that it's like her fault that she has to take care of the bird is really funny Hong Chao, like, Hong Chao. coming up the sidewalk in her big overalls with the bird and a towel or whatever, being like, head. oh my yeah. god, I found a bird, is, like, the biggest <laughs> laugh of that movie. Um, it is, yeah. It's so, yeah, it, like, I don't think it's sitcom I just think it's funny. Sure, I mean, I, I do yeah. agree that it is very funny. The, people, I mean, this is useless to talk about what people don't like about this movie, um, but, yeah, I know, I know people have issues with the ending and, like, think it wears its metaphor too strongly on its sleeve it doesn't really affect white but uh please yeah. please um, the bird flies away I'm, he's so true yeah. <laughs> and so, then they get their nice walk they show all the power lines it's beautiful well something that i do think is interesting is like obviously like it's a movie about artists and like it it, it is invested in their working process a lot mm-hmm. but like it's not a movie where anyone really talks about the art 
right beyond like saying like oh this is this like this is great work or like congratulations on your work or whatever like no one talks really about like the qualities that they are experiencing or what their experience with the art is and like and that scene at the end is so interesting too because like you know everyone's like at the reception for at her show right and they're like you know you see people like taking in the art and like processing it and stuff uh but it's sort of like it is like that that show vibe where there's like people are eating people are having conversations about other things with each other and then the bird flies right and that like captures everyone's attention everyone is like completely riveted it is like that sort of that you know that thing about like uh an animal like is just so inherently interesting because you never know what it's going to do or whatever. And like, and everyone like the, the, I, the, you know, the shot where everyone runs out to the front of the windows and everyone is crowding in them as the bird finally flies out the, the door. And I was like the, 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 the contrast in like the way it shows people being like captivated by something or, or taking in and processing something was really interesting to me. And that like that sort of thematic, uh, mm-hmm. thing is like it, it, it's, it's an interesting thing to explore I think in, in especially like I don't like yeah I, I'm curious what the relationship is uh, on like Kelly Records part to like people seeing and processing the work and it's like clearly mm-hmm. she really values the process and, and like the, the making of something and it seems like she's less interested in like how it is received afterwards yeah i mean that's that's certainly like true i I was reading an interview where she was talking about like yeah all of my movies i'm interested in process and she was saying it was kind of like a way to like get out of sort of three-act structure that she always finds herself thinking in and just like try to do something a little more organic is just like portray these sort of smaller pieces of things that are more just like how existing actually works. I do also think that like in, in making a movie about art, like showing that process is sort of the only way to do it because like artists largely get hives talking when people try to make them talk about their art. Yeah. I don't think it would make any sense to make a movie about art where they're constantly talking about it and how it works. You do just kind of have to show it and pick things up through that. There's a great part of the Reichert Marin interview where she talks about how worried she is that just the nature of like economic decline in this country and the world in general is such that like artists don't get to just sort of like chill and vibe Mm -hmm. anymore. And she's like, I think artists do all their like best working, best thinking, best idea generating when they are like doing other stuff. When they're, like, going Mm -hmm. to Walgreens or, like, taking a walk to the post office. And Mm -hmm. she's concerned that just, like, people have to do their jobs too much to be able to do that. And I think that sort of, like, vibing mentality is really, like, deliberately on display here. Where, like, if I think about, like, my time, like, in grad school, I think it was, like, we went to class and we learned in class. And then after class, because class was at night, we'd go out for three hours. Right. And it wasn't, yeah. like, raucous. And usually we were often debriefing class in a much more casual way. But that just felt like yeah. an extension of class to to an extent mm-hmm. and that kind of learning process. I think about mm-hmm. that all the time when I'm, like, is it productive yeah. for me to, like, go for this walk? And it's, like, yeah, of course it is. Like, right. yeah. that's yeah. that's working. Mm-hmm. Rebecca, the great... Rebecca Bolnez always said that texting is writing and um, (laughs) that really helps me get through texting. (laughs) That's a great mentality. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. There's also, I mean, 
you get a little bit of people talking about Art Andy with a great scene with James LeGrow where he's passing all the stuff around to the students and he's like, there's a great spontaneity to this pot. It's its own thing. <laughs> oh, there's such a good awesome anecdote scene. about him in one of the interviews. Maybe on Little Gold Men where he was like kind of being a like kind of an asshole the first day that he was there where he's like, what is this? What's this crazy sure. thing? And being sort of like trying to be like funny about the art. Uh, yeah. And Kelly Record was like, I think a lot of this art is like really good. I think he was like, is this supposed to be good or bad? And she's like, it's all, right. it's all good or whatever. And then the right. next day he came back and like apologized. He's like, I actually That's thought about good. it harder. And like, there's a lot of really beautiful <laughs> yeah. stuff here. And I'm sorry I did all that. Um, yeah. Trying to be class clown above it all. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. she just had to be like, that's we... not what this is. <laughs> yeah. Talk about, I mean, look, someone I'd be not cool in front of is kelly reichardt <laughs> uh, yeah i'm so I've scared sure yeah you better, yeah um yeah yeah i mean obviously she has her academic mm-hmm. i guess background. right i don't know if, if even background is the way i guess i don't know the right to refer it it is her job sometimes yes. i guess uh famously which is interesting. my professor yeah famously on rate my professor lots of people complaining about her being mean to them yeah <laughs> Which is uh, very funny, especially in context with this movie, which is, like, again, most people, most of the actual, like, school things, everybody seems to be fairly nice and pleasant. Yeah. Yeah. It's that was another to... thing she'd said in an interview that I read this morning, where she was like, I have had terrible academic jobs that I hated, but the bar job I, like, actively tried to get, and I'm around a bunch of people that I like and would not, that is a job I really want to have. She was doing some, like, funny retcon in interviews being like, I actually love teaching and teaching is great. Like, I don't actually doubt that she loves teaching. And I imagine Mm -hmm, that probably she has some Bard students who are huge pills. But, like, when you reread those Rate My Professor reviews and they're like, if you don't align with her taste, she makes this class hell for you. But then you read, like, you read about her talking about the stuff she teaches. And it's like, yeah, if if you're a student who hates that Kelly Record is teaching, like, Frederick Wiseman, you're probably going to be a little baby. About it, right? Frankly, yeah. and and I'm not on your side anymore. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, you can yeah. never be on the side of undergraduate film students. <laughs> yes, sure. <laughs> no, I mean that's a good point, though. I know. Yeah. I, 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 as a person, as the son of college professors, I am maybe more anti-college professor <laughs> than, <laughs> than most people. I will admit. Sure. Yeah. I, no, I'm not necessarily pro-college professor <laughs> either, but they're all, everyone's annoying. Yeah. Is she um, teaching really? undergrads or is she, she, she... She's teaching undergrad. That's interesting. Um, I do, uh, I think Hirsch is great in it. Yeah. Um, oh, he's I, I love, uh, th- that he's just got these two, like, random hippies staying with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they all like do bits where they talk in French, <laughs> yeah. uh, like fake French accents. It's really funny. I he the the line that I uh, that really made me laugh was when he's like, "I need to go to the toilet," <laughs> and uh, Hirsch's voice obviously selling that line. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's uh, Amanda Plummer from Pulp Fiction and whatnot, right. and then Matt Malloy, who's like a Hal Hartley guy. Uh, both yes. really funny. Um, they uh they they. they s- Summer in in Canada and winter in Mexico, right? That's yes. The line. That's, yeah. <laughs> um, 
That's the life, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, that, those were the people where I was like, maybe they got it right. Yeah. <laughs> Eat some free gallery cheese. Uh, yeah. Just sleep at somebody else's house. Mm-hmm. Not paying for it, presumably. <laughs> yeah. And that, uh, that Williams thinks that they're like taking advantage of him is really her biggest concern with that. And she's like, those people are staying with him again. And the mom's like, I don't care. <laughs> the... Um, <laughs> Uh, the the scene where she goes and uh, and visits with Majara at first, where um, he's like eating spaghetti in the dark, and is like mm-hmm. my the neighbors are like controlling my TV. Uh, it really made me think of the movie Crumb, the uh, the Terry Zwigoff documentary, mm-hmm. where you know uh, Robert Crumb has these like he's got t- two brothers that have their own sort of uh, problems and issues and. Uh, there's a scene in that in that movie where he is like visiting with one of his brothers who is like uh really far gone and uh it did remind me of that watching it and just his sort of paranoia about the TV and like the neighbor that is checking it this sort of scrawny young kid who's checking on him uh is really I, yeah. really good. I enjoy when she offers to buy him the Twilight Zone on DVD. It's yes. like it's not the <laughs> not same the if same. I know which one mm-hmm. it is. Yeah. <laughs> I think the first time I saw it, I thought the Megaro stuff was a little like overplayed and over dramatized. On second watch it, I sort of I softened on it a little, I think, because they're it's funnier. I was like, is she sure. is she is this like veering into like PSA mental health kind of thing? But I think <laughs> she's playing it a little looser and lighter. And I think once you know that like he's gonna show up to the gallery and just be fine and eat the cheese. Yeah. It like takes a lot of right. the weight off that like random mm-hmm. little search with Craig. Was it Theo Taplitz from Little Men? Sure. Oh right, <laughs> um, of course. I spent I spent a lot of that first watch being like, who is this? Right. And it's it's yeah. uh-huh. it's it's one of the Little Men from Little Men. Oh, it's the other. Okay, yeah, it's go. not Michael yeah, Barbieri. Yeah. yeah. Right. That I I was like, where do I know this? That's crazy. Uh, um, uh, I'm like, up. how did he Good wind up in this movie? But yeah, that's, that's very cool. Um, I do wonder because obviously she, like any director, she has the people she works with, but she does seem to be good at just like finding mm-hmm. some random ass people to put in her movies. I do wonder what her casting process is like. Iris Sachs yeah. does also just feel like he knows everyone. I'm sure it's easy to go to him and yeah. be like, "Is that kid from?" Your movie's still around. <laughs> yeah. He no, hasn't like, not done the one. anything. Everyone loves the other one. <laughs> yeah. He hasn't really done but much, I mean, which is like, I loved seeing him in this. Mm-hmm. It really just felt yeah. like a guy yeah. who was around. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, He's in Gringo, 2018's Gringo. Oh, sure. Gringo. We all remember Gringo. Gringo. Yeah. <laughs> That's David Oyelowo? Yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. Charlie's Theron. Charlie's? Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. For a minute, Her she was just doing whatever. Yeah. yeah, she kind of <laughs> had a uh, cornrows in the fast movie, <laughs> made Gringo. <laughs> um, the 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 second viewing. I mean, I, I watched it fairly recently, so I I just was like, let me live in this for a little bit more. And the uh, the Hong Chao, they're like watching it the first time. It was very. I, I didn't really like see the friendship until the end and i was like oh, okay sure mm-hmm. and then but there's obviously the scene where she's uh where they're bandaging the bird and william's like oh you still have like the statue that i made like the first one and it's like in her house and that's very sweet mm-hmm. and then at the end obviously um uh she's looking at uh 
one of the one of the sculptures and uh it's like supposed to be honk right she's like she's that's like me. that's yeah, me right, yeah, and right, i was yeah. like oh god mm-hmm. and then they ob- they go on their walk it's very it's very beautiful <laughs> um yeah, yeah. yeah. Christopher Blobel, that's sort of a i mean i was gonna say i do think that's like just a classic friendship dynamic of just like you think like one of you has a problem so you think both of you have a problem yes. with each other but really you just have a problem with them and you're yes. putting mm-hmm. that on the other person yeah the uh the ebb and flow there is really yeah. good i mean and there's a there's a scene where she's like the third time she's confronting her about the the hot water she's like i need it for real like i need it and she's like, I pay rent. And she's like, not that much. And Williams mm-hmm. is like, what? And gets at her. And oh, then it's tears so her flowers mean. out. I'm so glad yeah. they have that moment. Because I never feel doubt that they're friends. But friends say really yeah. mean yeah. shit sometimes. And the mm-hmm. friends with more money often say the meanest yes. shit that they don't even realize that they're saying. Yeah. Because the money has so dulled them to the mm-hmm. practical realities of not having that money. Yeah. 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 And she's like, I said not that much, and like she sort of wilt, wilts a little bit afterwards. Yeah. She's like, I, I, I'll fix the hot water, but you like, <laughs> you're getting a good deal. It's like, fuck you. Yeah. Uh, tear your flowers out. Um, yeah. There's, there's so much good stuff with, uh, with Hong Chao. The, 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 the cutting between her sort of, uh, Williams working in the in her in her studio versus, uh, Chao working like at the installation space, like mounting this huge piece of foam and wrapping it in like the wire or whatever and cutting out all uh while everyone's like drilling in the background is very it's it's a nice little bit of like here's the contrast between two sides of the same coin yeah Yeah, i do i do yeah good i think a point that's been often remarked upon is just that williams is like the only artist we see who's making work about people Sure, sure. Um, that is like an inherently kind of social project that requires her mm-hmm. to like look and observe and like see mm-hmm. movement and everyone else is doing things that feel much more abstracted including joe's work and i think joe's work is really cool and very thrilling to watch like <laughs> yeah. the process of maybe more so than taking a plastic fork to clay but um it's it's more about the spectacle perhaps yeah, or I'm the sure textures walked into a gallery i would be more attracted to joe's work than i would be to uh michelle williams characters and there's also like the bit of williams sort of walks through the space uh before the before the opening Mm -hmm. and then um when hong hong chow shows up or after that scene is when uh she's like you know one of your fucking people's in my parking spot and like yelling at her over the phone um but then uh, when Hong Xiao shows up, she's like, oh, wow, you came. She's like, of course. Like, th- that sort of, for Williams, it's like she won't go to hers. And mm-hmm. you just got to reach out sometimes, <laughs> maybe bridge the gap. But, I, yeah, I mean, it's it's really, the relationship with the mom is really funny also. Where she's just like, oh, you know, Majaro's a genius. Like, he, he'll have his thing still. And, like, the mom, like, they I, maybe they just don't show it. But there's obviously the big scene where... Hirsch walks around the table and is like, great stuff, great stuff, like, looking at everything. And then the mom just, like, beelines for the back and is like, your brother's not here or whatever. Mm-hmm. Doesn't even look at it. Hirsch's, like, 30-second walk around the table makes me cry both times. It's, it's so, uh, it's it's so, so nice. I'm so glad we yeah. get that long moment of him it's, yeah. observing. Yeah. Taking the time to, like, 
the real time that it would take is very important. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then uh, having him just walk around and flirt with everybody at the rest of the party is really great. Yeah, it's like, certainly... That's hilarious. <laughs> it certainly does, like... I feel like when pe- even maybe before it came out, she was just saying, like, oh, yeah, this one's kind of a comedy, and people were, like, really... And certainly, like, having a guy like that just in it holding court helps that come across yes. as, like, oh, totally. yeah, this is Kelly... Absolutely Kelly Reichert making a comedy, even yeah. if it is frequently quite sad. And, like, I think this morning just like watching a few scenes like they do generally play funnier in isolation mm-hmm. yeah i was thinking just as a person who i guess has never really gone to this sort of thing of just like it is weird that it's just like this party thing in this room where there's just like eight sculptures in a little table and everybody's there for just look at those eight sculptures for hours and it's just like just, they're networking i guess it's just like there's just like an inherent awkwardness built into yeah. it to me where i'm just like this, i guess this is interesting i guess it's sort of this is sort of how this world would have to work where it's just like there you can't just you don't want to get drowned out by putting it in a bigger gallery with a bunch of stuff and you don't yes gallery openings mm-hmm. are very funny to go to as a civilian who does not have the money to buy the art because mm-hmm. sure even if you know the artist which sometimes i have very exciting exciting to see their work they need to Mm -hmm. talk to the people who are buying the work and so they're like hi thanks for coming and then it's like you're invisible you're just doing your lap around the table along with people who are gajillionaires Mm -hmm. just being like oh well that would be cool if i had eight thousand spare dollars whatever (laughs) um yeah and it's it's a very sort of odd dynamic but it's also kind of cool to have these like singular rooms or like two-part rooms that are just dedicated to one person without sort of the encroaching like bureaucracy of your museum like pressing down on Mm -hmm. you but it's like going shopping which is maybe just why i like it (laughs) that is yeah that's i i never would look at the price tags i guess (laughs) i've been to like a few through um when i was taking high school art we had to go to like first friday and like do a bunch Mm -hmm. of stuff like that and it's just like you know smaller mm-hmm. artists obviously but i never would i never thought to look at the price tags i didn't that wasn't really when i was well, you have you know, to, 17 yeah yeah yeah. i'm like yeah processing like what the art yeah. is and like talking about that more often now. now it's like you get a sheet but you have to like ask someone you're like oh can i see the sheet of paper with all the prices yeah. and then they're like oh i'll yeah. go get it for you but it's like otherwise yeah. if you were like can i have a program like there's no program it's like right. you get yeah. the list of what's for sale um sure yeah, it's a oh, very, God. like, anxiety-provoking just, like, space to be in with just, it's like, so having that art all around. Like, I was helping yes. a friend uh, show some stuff off hours to some curators in a gallery that she works in that had an ongoing exhibit, and it was, like, terrifying to just be, like, walking around and moving large things around in that space. Yeah. And I guess it is sort of like going shopping, but to me, the difference is just like, I think there's just like more of a social expectation that doesn't exist with like going out shopping that sort of, I think is what provokes the anxiety. Whereas just like when I go shopping, I can just put AirPods in and just look at the (laughs) stuff and nobody feels like they need to talk to me. Whereas this, it feels like if there's more of an atmosphere of conversation that I maybe don't want to get in. I I don't know, maybe I'd go to a gallery and have fun. 
I was also constantly worried that something was going to get broken at some point. Yes, like, oh, there's the, the, completely. Those kids start running at one point, and yes. I was like, "No running, please!" Like yeah. they and they have a ball or something too. It's like this is going to be like a disaster. But well, it's it, even it, like when she is she first brings the pigeon in uh, right. after Hong Xiao gives it to her. I there's just the energy of like she's working on the thing. And there's, like, the cat, there's the bird, right? there's this noise happening, and it's just like, oh, no, is one of the pieces going to break? Is this going to be the thing? And then, you know, eventually it's the the burn on the right. on the piece that, that is the thing that sort of sets her off. But, uh, yeah, there is there is the tension of, like, I, I kept thinking about that. It was like, is something going to get, like, bumped by someone carelessly? And, like, yes. they won't think it's a big deal, it'll be a big deal, but... Yeah, and, like, it functions similarly to the Majara stuff, where, like, you feel like there's a lot of tension, yes, but, like, at, like you feel like something really bad might happen, and it never does. Which is, I mean, look, that's what uh, Lizzie thinks. Yep. And I think it's what Reichert thinks, too. I think that's yeah. her general mentality, not only within the context of her films, but, like, her professional outlook. Mm-hmm. Um I think, like, the the constant fear of something really bad happening in a movie that mm-hmm. comes out after the last one got sort of, like, knocked over by COVID feels, yeah, yeah. Sure. I don't know, kind of apparent. Yeah, I was, I was surprised that she worked with A24 again. I feel like she pretty explicitly said she was mad at them for not putting out First Cal quicker, and then they did the same thing that could just be a matter of no one they, else wants to give her that money to make stuff yeah. so just has to deal with the movies barely getting released we've, we've talked about it a few times it, it keeps coming up about how a24 just doesn't put out what looks better <laughs> yeah well i think and but, often but, like movies by women frankly that's true yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, the, yeah the hog is the other one where yeah. it's like they they didn't do anything with Souvenir 2. They didn't do anything with Eternal Daughter. And it's like... Yeah. People like Souvenir 1, in my memory. Like, it was it was well-received, certainly. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Eternal Daughter is the one for me where I was so glad that I saw it at TIFF. Because if I had not, that movie did not play anywhere in DC yeah. at all. But then, like, Denis also stars at noon, barely played anywhere. That, fortunately, did get, like a week of having half a screen in one theater here yes. but yeah and like those are th- yeah those are both the movies they have released by women recently and also the good movies they have released recently yeah. um, and I you know think... like past lives they're sure, being kind of yeah, and weird they, and they did a good job with the hollow center i think that the, the, the yeah. hollow center played here for a while oh sure um, and... i yeah the hollow center is still playing then. here yeah, yeah. i think that's true here as well but I don't know. Like, you have Julia Lee Dreyfus in that, so that like, there's, you know. But, yeah. I mean, I'm Michelle like, Williams. Yeah, she should be the cell, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I sort of think at this point, Riker will just take the money where she can get it. Yeah. 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 Um, which respect, and so yeah, sure. in order to get the sort of I don't you know I'm sure she's not asking for a lot, but to get what she mm-hmm. wants without sort of conflict or intervention is just maybe more more worth it that she now has come to understand that like i mean almost in like a a james gray ian way that her stuff is just going to be more appreciated overseas and whatever gets it in front of an international audience is maybe just the way to go right it's just like the lower budget version of i guess i have to make all my movies with netflix or apple yeah 
Yeah, I feel like Haynes is probably also like being like, just take the money from where you could get yeah. it, as sure, as has yeah. kind of been his way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. Who has uh, uh, Netflix? The new Netflix. one. It's yeah. Netflix. Of course, Netflix right? They bought picked it, it up. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Which I assume uh, they really don't funny. have it internationally. I think someone else, at least not. In, I think someone else would have had to buy it in France because can stuff. But right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's so much. It, it is just a movie with its sort of stressors and its you know tension. I do just feel like the time melts away when I both times I've watched it. It is uh, yeah, absolutely. It, it, it very in a way that her movies like have it before for me, where I'm just sort of like locked mm. in, completely enamored with every sort of detail and like the way that she just. Uh, I, I I can't stop talking about how good it looks, but uh, and it, that it all just feeds itself. You know, it looks so good. It feels good to watch. It feels good to just sit in <laughs> a nice hundred minute masterpiece yeah i mean like going back to the early question of like where we are at with her i've never been like down on her but certainly this like feels like one of her best movies to me uh you know and like first cow does too even though i have my weird thing with that movie where i still have (laughs) not seen it in high definition (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah i mean any any closing thoughts on uh Showing up. Um, there. I I get annoyed when this dialogue happens on Twitter about how all the major directors are now only making movies that take place in the past, mm-hmm. and like no one is making movies about contemporary stuff. But now I think when directors maybe not that famous as like Spielberg or Scorsese are making yeah. these contemporary movies, people are like, it's just about a guy. It's just about yeah, a guy yeah. who lives now. Like who gives a shit about that? And like. Right. My my first instinct upon seeing showing up was that like it's so normal that people are gonna write this off as like minor, mm-hmm. but it is like a complete major work by like one yeah. of I think the best living filmmakers done the disservice of the fact that like we now don't care about stuff unless we know it was important ten to one hundred years ago. And so I think yeah. compared to First Cow, it's sort of like, oh, she scaled back or something like that. But like I think that's she scaled up. No, She's only yeah. going up. I agree. Yeah. yeah, it feels very. Uh, it feels much larger than first cow. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like art is expensive. There's a bunch of art in the movie. I mean, and also, you know, she's expanding her frame. She's out of uh, <laughs> that closed aspect ratio <laughs> that she sure. used to love. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that did come to mind briefly while I was watching is I've seen about half of the first season of Lucky Hank uh, on AMC, which is also set in like a a small college that's like an English department. Uh, with Bob Odenkirk and it is like yeah it, it was interesting sort of like that one is obviously it's much more TV and like story and like not as interested mm-hmm. in like anyone anyone's work other than like perhaps to make fun of the poetry professor's poem or whatever like um, but yeah I it, it was interesting that to have both of them at the same time uh, and especially like because no one's talking about Lucky Hank or th- thinking about sure. it but it was like oh this is like they're, they're, they're companion pieces in a way Sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, I think that the portrayal of the school in this, of like the workings of the school in this movie, is probably much more functional than that actual uh, school sure. is in real life. Yeah. There is. I mean, there's also like, sort of the the half gag, half taking it seriously type thing of when the the model like runs through 
and gets up to the stage and like poses is <laughs> just like a funny little insert of like this guy like hurriedly getting back to the stage and it's just like here's this little moment yeah all those all those little asides of just like here's the world that we're all living in where there's these people doing like experimental light art and like people right. painting yeah. people doing all the you know figure work and thing yeah it never strikes me as not taking any of the yeah. work seriously even when yes, it yes, is yes. silly i think it always feels very clear to me that like that is the point and good yes yeah and then uh uh heather lawless i believe is great the um, yes he's the visiting artist oh what a role and yeah. what a part and when, when she's sort of like as they're pulling all the figures out uh, all the all the sculptures out of the um out of the kiln then she's just like playing basketball is <laughs> very funny i mean the fashion in this movie is great everyone's so yeah cool looking crocs are cool again it's awesome i'd argue crocs are cool for the first time <laughs> they're I like mean, the number one selling item on amazon phil was telling me sure, this, that's that it's that's like funny. do any of you wear crocs i have two pairs no. yeah i've got some crocs i, okay. I, need, got a, I crocs. need a new pair yeah i wear keens which someone mm-hmm. needs to wear in a movie sure. and make that look cool yeah, I'm in a. It's sort of crazy. No one in showing up was wearing Keens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, no one had any Tevas on or whatever. Diva. Yeah, um, yeah. The yeah Crocs. I the problem is uh, with Crocs is usually with shoes because I've got a wider foot. Mm-hmm. I just mm-hmm. have to scale up a little bit. Right. Crocs you don't need. So now I've got like clown shoe Crocs. I need to scale back, <laughs> get a, a size that fits a little a little better and then you know you wear it out it'll 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 fit to the foot but i'm pro croc for sure yeah i i wore crocs as like a child and keens were the transition out of like oh these will actually stay on my feet uh yeah the other i've never worn other... a croc I, any shoe that doesn't require a sock i'm like i was about to my, say my feet get too sweaty i, I can't do it <laughs> so you can't oh, wear I... socks and crocs for the record. <laughs> okay, good to know. It's allowed. It's probably, allowed. Won't, probably still won't get any. Probably, probably but, not in the But you're future. so validated because <laughs> the sweaty you... foot and the croc is a problem that I have. Yeah. Sure, and maybe that is less a problem in Keens because that is the main thing for me is I do not wear socks almost ever if I can avoid it. That's crazy. Yeah, for me, yeah, for me, like you can wear socks and crocs. But that is anti to the spirit of why I would ever wear a croc. Whereas, like, right. if I'm wearing a croc, it's just so, so I can wear something I can slip into quickly and just, like, go to a corner store and get something yes. to drink. It is deliberately for the purpose of avoiding having to put on socks. Yes. Yeah. Also, just, like, my feet get very warm. I... Yeah. 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 Willing to I wear mine almost crocs. exclusively indoors. They're an indoor shoe for me. Because mm. I hate being That's barefoot like at home. Shoe. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to step on something. No, when I, you know, when I cook, I don't want to get food on my feet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mine too <coughs> sense. Yeah. 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 We love Crocs. Um, but yeah. Love is maybe. Yeah, I, I do not endorse that sentiment, I don't we, think. But... We, the royal we. Yeah. <laughs> Crocs yeah. are useful and there's a place for them, is where I, I stand on Crocs. I, I straight up think they look cool. And I'm not talking about okay. gibbets or whatever. I don't. I don't have any of the the charms. <laughs> a standard croc. Michelle Williams has got the white ones. Hong Xiao's got like navy blue ones. Mm. Cool. Just cool shoe. Cool design. It's sort of like you know the Birkenstock that covers the. Are we still foot. talking about this? 
that's sort of popular now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The clog. The clog, sure, yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. If they made this in 2011, then they'd all be wearing Toms. I had no I idea you Tom had. I had no idea you had this month. This many shoe thoughts, Cullen. This is Andy, really. Who do you think I am? <laughs> I mean, sure. I guess we've just never broached the subject. You're before. not really a sneakerhead like me. <laughs> um, but yeah, we can move on. <laughs> do we? Uh, uh, do we want to straight move on to uh, final uh, uh, special presentations? I think we maybe could. Mm. Does anyone have one right off the bat? I can go if no one does. If everyone needs a second to think, um, I can go. Please, uh, I have been uh, rewatching the first season of WGN America's Manhattan, uh, which is uh, streaming on various uh, free with ads platforms. I'm watching it mostly on Tubi. It's on Freebie. It's awesome. on a few other things, I think. Um, and I watched the first season at the time, and I watched like the first couple of episodes of the second season and fell off. Um, with Oppenheimer coming up, I was like, I kind of think I like that time period and like stories set around that sort of thing. And this is like the premise of Manhattan is that it's set uh, in in the camp. Oppenheimer is like a very small recurring character. He's not like in every episode or anything. Um, he's sort of like the mysterious odd boss man. But it's mostly about um, uh, John Benjamin Hickey plays uh, Frank Winter, who's like a He's a, he has a ragtag group of scientists who are like an offshoot who are not working on the main atomic bomb design, but they're like a, a like a, a backup plan. Um, it's 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 crazy how many like big people are in the show, like Rachel Brosnahan, Michael um, Chernis, um, uh, Daniel Stern. Um, it's like the place where like I first clocked a lot of people, I think, and I like uh, returning to it. Uh, it's been, you know, it's been really good. Um, I'm, I'm like halfway through the first season, I think. Um, and it is very like TV. Uh, Katya Herbers is also in it. Olivia Williams. Um, uh, wow. Yeah, I, th- I think it's like it's really it's really well done. I remember like the f- episodes of season two that I watched, I really liked. And then I just fell off for reasons I don't remember. But I'm looking forward to, to finishing it this time through. And I think it's it's worth a look if you're like if you're intrigued for Oppenheimer and are like eh, something in that maybe will scratch the itch before it comes out. Um, I think it is worth a look, and it's it's widely available. So Manhattan, originally from WGN America, and Bro- if you're a Kelly Reichert fan, uh, the episodes that Oppenheimer is in, it appears that he's played by Daniel London. Mmm. Mmm. Brosnahan post House of Cards pre Maisel. Right, sort of an interesting spot in her career. Yep, David Harbour's in it. Um, uh, it's it's directed by Tommy Schlamy a lot of it, like the pilot and the, and the finales. So it does have a lot of style and stuff. I think, yeah, it's it's got it's got a lot going for it. Is they were really trying to like make WGN America prestige dramas a thing. <laughs> well, they had that um, other. Uh, what was the other show they had on there? They had the Harriet um, Tubman show too. I think, right. yeah. Um, so they were really going for it, and then like could, no one wanted to f- figure out how to watch WGN America shows, yeah. so it, it failed spectacularly. But uh, uh, yeah. we got some good stuff out of it, I think. Yeah, we got two seasons of Manhattan. What's better yeah. than that, baby? Um, <laughs> I'll go. I watched Drive recently oh. for the first time in a while, um, sort of post my discovery of uh, the rest of Nicholas Winding Refn's work. Uh, and the Drive soundtrack still goes so hard. Of course. And it is huge, huge bangers on it. When I was watching it, I was like, this is going to be good. I'm excited to watch this movie. 
and then they start playing Kavinsky Nightcall, and I was like, five stars, five stars. A different story happens with the rest of the movie, but the soundtrack still <laughs> just slaps. I, like, deliberately avoided seeing Drive upon release because mm-hmm. the culture around it was so annoying. I only saw for the first time, I want to say in late 2019, early 2020, and I was like, pretty good movie. It was really yeah. good to wait, like, nine years and watch it and yeah. be like, you know what? Cool. Yeah. There's, yeah. like, a progression you can chart for Refn where it's, like, Drive feels so Hollywood to me now, which is crazy because the reputation at the time was like this already austere movie. No one talks, and it's like watch Too Old to Die Young. That no one talks for real, and that is like you know twelve hours long. Uh, but like the progression, you know, only God forgives is sort of an anomaly. He's obviously working out things stylistically there that he'll come to use later. Um, he's experimenting more with just like gels and all this shit that he's throwing at it. Um, but then it's like. It's Drive, and then there's an upgrade to Neon Demon, which I think is forming more ideas that he'll explore in Tool to Die Young. It's all sort of this, like, L.A. trilogy, I think, of uh, starting with Drive, excluding Only God Forgive. But then, you know, everything sort of comes to a head. All worlds meet in Tool to Die Young, and it's, uh, that's the real plug tool to die young watch that <laughs> i definitely you know, my uh my experience with drive is that my co- my one of my college friends hosted like a movie night every sunday and we all go over to his apartment and watch a movie and he definitely like he showed drive and i definitely ruined that screening by being so vocally mad about the movie and like saying annoying things like how can you treat joan that way talking about christina hendrix and stuff like it was, <laughs> i was really obnoxious about how much i didn't like that movie but uh that's funny uh bad movie is my opinion <laughs> yeah, yeah. nothing for me he uh uh he plays blanche in drive which i forgot which is very funny i saw it for the first time when i was like 16 or uh yeah it was a great i remember my english teacher i was like she saw drive she was like, that movie sucks. I was like, no, 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 no. You get it all wrong, team. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I uh, saw Drive when I should have been most primed to like Drive. It was just sure. like, there's nothing here. Um, it's a very as a, it, as it, a it, refin. It gave us, oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, it gave us Hotline Miami. And that's all, sure. I, yeah, that's all I really need from Drive. Um, as a refin guy... Colin, are you are you gonna dip in? Are you into the Kojima stuff? Are you like a death? You know, are, are you compelled I, by their relationship? A hundred percent. I I love the friendship. I love seeing the friendship on Twitter. I respect Kojima a lot as an artist. I don't personally. I've tried his games. I can't really get into them. Um, the Death Stranding. I just it stressed me out too much. Like I couldn't get to whatever point where the game starts being the game because the prospect of getting caught by those like the what is it like bts what do they call them yeah the bts the Um, goop yeah scared me so much that i just was like agitated shoulders up the entire time playing it that i i couldn't really get into it but i've seen i mean i love i I use the gif of him giving a thumbs up all the time oh it's so good i'm very happy to have a a video game rendered nicholas winning refin in the world yeah i never finished that game but i did enough where i was like i've seen enough um yeah but i played right after my roommate who played for forever i felt and when i started playing i was like what do you do like after you've been killed or when you get got by the bts and he was like what are you talking about and i was like oh it's like the main (laughs) thing that comes to get you in the in the game and he was like well i never got got by it 
That's and crazy. I was like, okay, well, we're playing. I mean, this is someone who like hundred yeah. percented Elden Ring, so it's like we're <laughs> talking different levels of game. But I was like, okay, sure. so you can't yeah. even help me because you didn't even ever. He's like, well, I never died playing Death Stranding. I was yeah. like, okay, well, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, it's not my plug, but you know, Metal Gear Solid Five: The Phantom Pain. One of the great games. That is the one with the long cut scenes, right? They're all the ones. Well, I know. What was the one? I feel like there's four. Four is the one. Is the yes. one where people really there's like two hour cutscenes yeah. in that game. But, there was uh, definitely like waiting for my brother to finish with a PlayStation, and he was like, "Just one more cutscene." I was like, "Okay," and then it was fucking feature like. I think no joke that last cutscene of Metal Gear Solid Four is like an hour and thirty. It's, it's feature length. Well, I think it's the Death length. Stranding ending is ninety minutes. And I came home I when my roommate was like beating it, so I watched like fifty minutes of it. And this like, is like is I do this? respect that. As like, the part I do too. The form of what a video yeah, game toward, is. Yeah, like, the part to, toward the end of Metal Gear Solid Five, where it's not a cutscene, but you do like get in a car with like the bad guy, and it's just like a monologue where the car is driving, and that goes on for like half an hour, where you can just wow. look around but do nothing yeah. else but listen to the bad guy talk. It's locked, yeah. and that's very fun. I feel that that is like I I never really. I feel like you need to do the early games to get the later games. Like, hopping in in five, I was like, That's what, what am I, I supposed to do? <laughs> I a thousand percent hopped in on f- I had played a little bit of the previous ones, but I... Yeah. It's... I, it's Yeah, we can't go deep on the... Sure, yeah, we can't start. Right here, but it plays much better than all the other... Sure, I mean, yeah, the, the technology. It is, by, yeah. it is by far the best playing out of all of them. I remember Snake Eater being a very cool game to me as an idea, but I never was, you know... That's a lot of Kojima, it. where he he's yes. like cooking with his idea yeah. to, to some extent, to where maybe the games don't play as good as just like how crazy some of the stuff is. Yeah, just like oh, you can just sit here and the guy will die of old age or whatever. It is. But I think recently on Twitter, uh, Nicholas Winnerf and and Kojima were like, we had never met physically before. We'd only yeah. been on FaceTime or something like that, and it was very nice to see that. They, <laughs> they hung out around New York and. When Reffin took him around the places he needed to see in New York, one of them was just the Strand, which is very funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what a guy! It is. I mean, and Drive funny. as a movie, I said on Letterbox, it's so sincere. It's a very earnest movie of just like, here is what I think is cool. Here is what I think is like a cool Hollywood movie, and he's just like showing his ass in a way that I, I mean, I, I just, yeah, he's a very, a very good guy. I think. <laughs> I have not seen any pre-drive, so maybe that'll be. Maybe I'll get into Bronson. Bronson's crazy. I would really like to watch the Pusher trilogy. I I like Bronson. Yeah, Valhalla Rising also I should see. Um, but yeah, anyone uh, Jesse? Sure, I I teed up last week uh, a trilogy. trilogy. You have three, yes. Yeah, a trilogy of uh, special presentations related to my recent trip to Harrisburg. We did already record the end of next week's episode, so the the third part is gonna have to wait a week. Uh, But the uh, the second, the sort of. fun middle part of the trilogy where things start coming together is I'd like to recommend uh, throwing up in the emergency room. I think, certainly I cannot recommend, well, I can recommend going into the emergency room and that if you think you need to go to the emergency room, you should go to the emergency room. Uh, But it's a, a terrible experience, but an experience that is only plussed by throwing up. It is 
an excuse to get up and walk around a little bit. It's an excuse to go talk to someone and not feel like you're being annoying. Be like, oh, something actually happened. Uh, And I don't know how common this is, but in my case, it got me uh, put in a bed out in the hallway where I could uh, try not to watch people come in off of ambulances for like another hour while no one saw me. So great. Uh, what was it last week? What was the l- last week? It was uh, pretzels with right. everything seasoning. <laughs> great. Right. <laughs> yeah. I forgot about sure. that. So just making sure we have the trilogy all sort of neatly. Yeah. In, in our hands. I'm, yeah. Great. Sure. I mean, I'm I, less excited I, to know. buy the first plug now. <laughs> <laughs> now that two is throwing up. Yeah. Um, uh, well, these did happen on different different days, days but certainly yes. it is a. Uh, uh, a real speaks in favor of the pretzel that I was able to enjoy it while quite ill. Sure. Uh, and, you know, the, what the third thing is going to be is not a secret. <laughs> I have talked about it publicly, but yes, uh, yes. yeah, look forward to that in two weeks, I guess. Are you feeling yeah. better? Yes, I feel Good. I am largely recovered. The procedure was maybe not as easy as it could have been, but it's still an appendectomy, which is about as easy a surgery as you can have. Sure. Scary. Emilio, Fran? Um, I can go. I just finally read uh, the Patrick Redden Keefe IRA book, Say Nothing. Sure. With a big, uh, you know, post-colon title. Um, This is the kind of book that has been recommended to me for years, five of them specifically. Um, and I loved it. I thought it was great. I couldn't put awesome. it down. It's like 400 pages. I read it, I think, in four days. I was like housing this book. And I think it's a real feat of journalism. And I think sure. it's quite morally muddy. I think it makes terrorism look sexy, but also bad. You know? Uh, the killer I combo. Great, I had a great time with it. So I recommend. Awesome. I often think books recommended to me are not good. I don't know why. Sure. A lot of a uh, lot of pressure on a book recommendation. Mm-hmm. It is, yeah. There's so yeah. much commitment. Yeah. Amelia. Uh, Kenneth, I've I'm like halfway through a lot of things, and I always feel bad about recommending things that I am not like all the way through. Mm-hmm. In a future episode, I recommend an album that I would listen to because of a book I was listening to. So I guess I'll just do another and I'll say, I like black Flag's first album damage. That was, that's good. Great. Great. Well, thank you so much again, Fran. Yes. Thank you for having me back. Always a pleasure. Yes. Uh, Is there anything you would like of your own now to promote plug? I would love to plug Fran magazine. My com. We have fun there. It's a chill summer. And, that is it bright well dark room where i'm gonna have an asteroid city review sure, yes. up um and we're also about to have a vacations issue which will be a lot of fun sure. well then i think with that if you want to follow the podcast on twitter uh while it's still around we're at can i kick it and we're on letterbox and instagram at ciki pod we're on youtube what's the youtube emilio is it just can i kick it I think it's just Can I Kick It. Okay. Yeah, yeah. if you search Can I Kick It on YouTube. We're uploading episodes to YouTube now, just the audio. Um, um, And then. We're going to go viral. 
Yeah, it's going to be awesome. <laughs> uh, we're going to do clickbait titles, soy face thumbnails, the whole nine. And uh, if you want to email us any questions, we're at canikickitpod at gmail.com. I don't know if I said we're on TikTok also at Can I Ticket. We're trying to figure out the new media landscape. <laughs> and uh, our coffee, if you would like to donate any money to us, uh, you can do that at ko-fi.com slash I and it's always appreciated. Uh, our theme song is by Tree Related, who's on Spotify and SoundCloud at Tree Related. I am on Twitter at Clatchley, Andy's Andy T. Germ, Emilio's I'm Laugh Alone, and Jesse is Jackie Glick Weber. And with that, I will release our audience. Bye. Bye. Bye.